When you get to chapter 3, the last testimony as it's taught may be, in my opinion, the greatest testimony in the Bible. Uh, I can identify with Habakkuk. Uh, I think what Habakkuk is doing is striving, striving to draw near to God. Uh, Some people used to say his name meant embracing. I don't know if it does or not. But this is all about embracing God, living in God's embrace. And that's easy to do when things are going well. But in Habakkuk's life, there isn't anything going well. There isn't anything going the way Habakkuk would have it to go. And yet he's striving to embrace God. What's that old hymn, Near to the Heart of God? There is a place of quiet rest. That's what Habakkuk is seeking, a place of quiet rest in the midst of turmoil. There is a place of sweet release near to the heart of God. That's what Habakkuk is searching for, a place where he can release his burdens, release his questions, release his doubts, release his problems, and find rest near the heart of God. There's a place of peace and joy near to the heart of God. That's what Habakkuk is seeking, the peace and joy that can come in the midst of the most horrible times, of the greatest difficulties in our life. There is peace and joy in the heart of God. When things are at their worst, if we can just draw near to the heart of God, if we can just draw near to Him, what a difference it makes in the way we live. And that's what the prophet is looking for. He wants to draw near to God, and he's got some obstacles in the way of drawing near to God. And he has to get through those obstacles. We don't know much about Habakkuk, uh, a prophet, a poet. As an English teacher, you have to love those poets, right? A prophet, a poet. Uh, uh, he's a songwriter. He's a musician, okay? Uh, way beyond my abilities. I'm a noisemaker. This guy's a musician, okay? We know that about him. We're not sure when he wrote, except it's prior to the Babylonian exile, Uh, He's standing on the precipice of a horrible event from a perspective of humanity. Uh, It appears that the revival that they had under Josiah, one of the king, he would have is is over. Because we're going to see in a moment, God's God's people are living wickedly. That revival is gone. It didn't didn't take place. It didn't transform hearts. It didn't do that. And Rebecca is going through this process. In this first chapter, uh, I can relate perfectly with Rebecca. In this first chapter, things are bad, things get worse, and then things really get bad. Okay? And he's trying to understand it. Through it all, draw near to God. Let's look at the first four verses and see what he has to say. Verses 1 through 4, if you'll follow in your Bibles, I'll read them. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, will I call for help and thou wilt not hear? I cry out to thee, violence, yet thou dost not save. Why dost thou make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous Therefore, justice comes out perverted. The oracle 
No, that word actually means burden. The burden. Okay. Habakkuk has a burden. Okay. And he does the right thing with his burden. He goes to the Lord with it. He has a burden and he takes it to the right place. It's so essential. What did Peter tell us? The Lord wants to do, cast all your what? Cast all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares. The more I hold on to my cares, the more I'm obviously saying in my heart that I don't trust God's love. And Rebecca has a problem. He says, and he says, I'm taking it to God. I'm taking it to God. I'm casting it on you. It always is interesting to me, right after casting all your care on the Lord, because he cares for you, you have the verse, the devil goes about like a what? Roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If I don't cast my cares, the roaring lion is at the door. The roaring lion is at the door if I don't cast my cares. And Habakkuk has a burden, and he goes to the Lord. And I love his prayer. How long? How long, O Lord? He's not the first to pray that prayer. David prays it in the Psalms. How long? How long? It's going to be prayed in the future. In the book of Revelation, there are those surrounding the throne of God. You know what they're praying? How long? How long? How long, God? How long before you're going to do something? How long before you act? How long before you show your presence? And Rebecca cries out that prayer. How long? How long? How long? And as he says in those verses, he's been saying how long for a long time. Okay? How long? How long? How long? He's been praying that prayer. Okay? And he hasn't got an answer. God has said nothing. But he keeps praying how long? There's expectation in that prayer. I know we like to say that Abekah is complaining, but he's also praying with expectation because he's saying it's implied how long, sooner or later, it's going to be answered. And so he keeps praying how long, how long before you act. Look around you. The world is, the people of God are ignoring your law. They're indifferent to your law. There's violence. I can't tell much difference between them and the world. How long, how, how long, Lord, before you can do something? And the answer is nothing, no, no answer at all for the moment. No answer at all. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there crying out to God, how long, how long? Look, Lord, this is a problem, Lord, and I know it's a problem. And you say you do something about it, and you're not doing a thing. You're not even giving me a hint that you're going to do a thing. And I keep praying, how long, how long, how long? What do you need to do when God is silent? Keep asking, how long, how long, how long? Keep knocking on the door. <laughs> Keep crying out. How long? I know you heard that prayer yesterday, God. You heard it this morning. But how long? How long? How long before you act? It's the cry of Rebecca. I want to know how long until you act. It's the great theme of Rebecca. And you sang about it this morning. Faith. Habakkuk has faith. Habakkuk has faith that sooner or later God is going to answer. You know, I think he's the greatest example in the Bible of somebody who had to respond to the silence of God. 
Do you know the story of Mary and Martha? You know Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, don't you? They sent to God. Lazarus is dying. You love Lazarus. Do something. And God did nothing. He didn't even answer them. Nothing. Silence. No answer. No answer at all. But you know what those verses tell us in John chapter 11? Two things. Mary loved, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And that what happened would be for God's glory. If you can hold on to those truths when God is silent, then like Mary, when Jesus shows up and you fall at his feet and say, I know if you were here, Lazarus would not have died. You can still fall at his feet in submission because you know he loves you and you know he's going to glorify himself. And so Habakkuk cries out, How long? How long? How long? Don't give up praying. Do you doubt God's goodness? I have people in my life that I love that have walked away from God. You know what I do every day? How long? How long, Lord? For you do what you have to do to bring them back to you. See, if I quit praying for someone that I know is turned from God, you know what I'm doing? I'm doubting God's goodness. I don't believe God is good. Because if I believe that God is good and I'm praying for someone or something, I'll keep praying. I'll keep praying. I'll keep praying till the day I die. My last breath will be, how long? Because I know you're good. Do you believe God is good? Who have you quit praying for? Who have you quit praying for? What have you quit praying for? If God is good, keep praying. Keep praying. God will answer. I like to call them waiting for the little cloud prayers. Remember when Elijah was told to go and pray, it was going to rain? And he bent down and he prayed and he prayed and he said, Servant, go see any rain yet? Nah, no rain. Okay. Elijah didn't say, Well, I tried. No, he said, I'll pray again. Sent the servant up, Any rain? Nope, no rain. Okay. Nope, not, not even a cloud, not even a cloud. Okay. And Elijah didn't say, Well, I tried twice. Okay. I suppose God, you know, maybe the rain will come in 25 years. Okay. So I won't do it. No, he got down and he prayed again. Okay, and what happened when the servant came back? Saw a little cloud. Okay? Saw a little cloud. Okay? And what followed the little cloud? Monsoon. Okay, <laughs> the rain came. How long? When God is silent, don't doubt His goodness, and don't think He's upset because you just keep saying, "How long? How long? How long?" Okay. Surrounding the throne of heaven are your prayers. And even after you're gone, God may answer your how long prayer. See, the most important thing in my praying for other people that I love who are away from God is not that he restore their relationship with me, but that he restore their relationship with him. With him, I mean him. And I don't have to be here to do that. But while I'm here, I'm knocking on the door. How long? How long? I know you're good. I'm going to keep asking. How long? How long? How long? 
And he'll never be irritated with me asking how long. He'll never be irritated with me asking how long. But his heart will be broken if I doubt his goodness if I stop asking. Ask, ask, ask. Don't let the silence keep you from being silent. Plead with God. Plead with God. It gets worse. God gives Habakkuk an answer. Okay? Uh, and look at the answer. Look at verses 5 through 11. Look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished. Wonder. This is God speaking now. Because I'm doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than lefters and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings. And rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. But they are guilty, those whose strength is their God. Have you ever had that? Have you ever prayed and God gave you an answer? And it's the very last answer you wanted? Have you ever prayed that prayer? I'm sure I can see Habakkuk looking at God's answer. At least I would. He's a better man than I am. Suppose. I would have said, Lord... I was praying, how long, how long? But that's not one of the answers. Bringing those Chaldeans, that's, that's not on my answer list. That's not, even all, that's not even none of the above. That's not even on the list. It's not there. Okay. What do you mean you're bringing the Chaldeans down to judge God's people? And the two key words there are you and your. The you is a positive one because the first you there is plural. Habakkuk wasn't alone. Habakkuk wasn't the only righteous man in Israel. Okay, But the dangerous part is your. You know what the your implies? Habakkuk, you are righteous. Habakkuk, you love me. And Habakkuk, when I judge, you are going to be in the middle of it. When I judge the wicked, you're going to be there. Talk about unfair. That's not right. How can you judge me when I'm doing the right thing? How can you do that? That's not fair. That's not a fair answer. That's not an answer that's right. And look at these people. They're hunters. They're like leopards. They're like wolves. They're like eagles. They're vicious hunters. And they delight in it. And you're sending down to judge God's people, and I'm going to have to go through it? I, who am righteous, am going to have to go through it too? You know why that's true? Because justice and judgment always begins where? In the household of God. Why is that so? Why does judgment begin in the household of God? Because as the world gets darker, the light has to get what? brighter. God has to purify. 
he's got, I've got some baskets that I use to hide my light, and he's got to burn those things away. I'm losing my saltiness. He has to make me salty again because he needs light in the darkness. He needs a pure church. And so when judgment comes, it starts here. You know, we sit around and pray for God to judge America. Be careful. It's going to start in these walls. Because as the world gets darker, and it will get darker, evil men will get worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And judgment will begin right here. Because God needs a pure people. He needs a pure church in a dark world. And you may not have any, but I've got some baskets that I'd rather have people see than the light that is in me. And he's got to get those out. He's got to burn those away. Because he needs the light. And what difference does it make? When God comes and judges Israel, okay, what will happen to those who are faithful? You ever heard of Daniel? Have you? You ever heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Why did they blaze their light across the world? Because God brought the Babylonians down and purified his people. And those four young boys, they were pure. Daniel said, I won't defile myself. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, throw me in the fire. I don't care. Throw me in the fire. I'm not going to serve your God. Throw me in the fire. Did their light shine? Did their light make a difference? Because even when they were punished, along with the wicked, they said, faithful. I'm going to be faithful to God, no matter what. You know what my favorite example of that is? Those guys are great, but it's Caleb. Caleb went into the promised land, came back with Joshua, and said, hey, there's giants in there. Let's go get them. Okay? And the people said, not a chance. Not a chance. And if you read the thing, Caleb spoke up before Joshua did. So here's Caleb standing up for God, his life on the line, and for 40 years he has to do what? Walk in the wilderness. He was faithful. And he didn't even get promoted. Joshua got the head job. He didn't even get promoted. But he had to walk through the wilderness. Forty years walking through the wilderness. Seven years fighting in the land. And then they brought Caleb before them. And they said, Caleb, you've been faithful for all these years. You can have any part of the land that you want. We've conquered part of it. You can have any part you want. You know what Caleb said? There are some giants up there. And I'm going to go get them. I've been waiting for 45 years to get those giants. And I'm going to go get them. I'm going to go get them. I walked through the wilderness for 40 years. I think every day when Caleb got up and walked through the wilderness, he said, one day closer to those giants. One day closer. He didn't see that he was suffering along with the wicked. He said, I'm just waiting Waiting for my chance. What chance do you think the giants had? None. Not one chance. Because Caleb, though he was punished 
along with the righteous. said, I'll be faithful no matter what. I will be faithful. And when I get my chance, look out giants. Look out giants. I'm going to get them no matter what. Do you know what? Caleb would have been faithful even if he had lost to the giants. Do you understand that? Hebrews 11, the great hero chapter of faith. Have you ever noticed that? That great hero chapter. The first one is Abel. His faith got him what? Killed. His faith got him killed. The next one is Enoch. What did his faith do? Went to heaven without dying. Same faith. What was the outcome? Total opposites. Total opposites. What's the next one? Noah. Noah's faith, Hebrews 11 says, his faith condemned the world. The whole world got wiped out because of Noah's faith. The fourth one is Abraham. What is his faith? In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Same faith, outcome, totally opposite. God demands that we live by faith, and the outcome belongs to whom? Him. The God who is good and sovereign and mighty and powerful. We can trust the outcome to him. Our responsibility is to be faithful no matter what. Be faithful no matter what. And I think from the next part of the book, chapter 1, that Abeka missed one word. Or he wouldn't have said what he said next. And that is the word, the very last verse, guilty. My NAS says they will be found guilty. Your ESV says guilty, guilty, guilty. I'm sure you've heard the phrase a million times, it's payday someday. And you'll get into chapters to come when you get into Becca that when God appears to be causing the wicked to prosper, he's judging them. Because you reap what you... So, guilty, guilty. So here's Habakkuk's problem, okay? I prayed to God, no answer. God gave me an answer, I didn't want it. Wrong answer, God, okay? Wrong answer. And I have to suffer with wicked. Look how he finishes. Look at verses 12 to the end. The next thing Habakkuk does is he goes to his theology book. God, let's, take, let's look at your theology. Okay. You and I would never be that arrogant, would we? God does something, we say, oh, that can't be. Look at page 64 in my theology book. God, you can't do that. Come on. Okay. Get in my book. Fit in there. Okay. Let's see what he says. Okay. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. Thou, O Lord, hast appointed them to judge, and thou, O Rock, hast established them to correct. Thine eyes are too pure to approve evil, and thou canst not look on wickedness with favor. Why dost thou look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why art thou silent when the wicked swallow up those who are more righteous than they? Why hast thou made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? The Chaldeans bring all them up with a hook, drag them away with their net, and gather them together in their fishing net. Together they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they offer a sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net. 
because through these things their catch is large and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? Hmm. Habakkuk tries to teach God theology. Okay? Now understand, there's not faithlessness in there. Do you see the word in the very first verses that we read? Habakkuk still says what? My God. My Holy One. He hasn't turned from God. He's just wanting some clarification. He says, God, this can't be. If you are righteous, if you are holy, I know that if you're righteous and holy, you cannot look on evil and approve it. Then why is it that you're going to look on evil and approve it? He doesn't understand. And he needs that understanding. He needs to know. Lord, there's something wrong here. The circumstances... And what I think I know you to be like, they just don't gel. There's something wrong with it. I don't understand it. You have to show me. The beautiful thing about Habakkuk here is he's going to the right source for understanding. He's going to God. When you don't understand, the person to ask is God to give you understanding, to have a teachable spirit. If you don't have a teachable spirit, the struggle is going to be immense. If you don't understand what God's doing, if you don't know what God is doing, if you're as confused as Habakkuk is about what is going on, then you need to open up your heart and say, God, teach me. God, show me. You know I'm spiritually brain dead. Let me know. Teach me what I need to know because it doesn't fit the circumstances and what I know you to be just don't match. Teach me. Show me. Show me. Draw near to God. Near to the heart of God. Let him teach you. Let him show you so that you can understand what God is up to. So you can know what he is up to. This, you know, I love how this book ends. I don't want to Steel chapter 3. Do you know how this book ends? It ends with Habakkuk. Look at him, struggling. Lord, I prayed you didn't answer. How long, how long, how long? Lord, I prayed you answered. Wrong answer, wrong answer, wrong answer. Lord, I look around me at the world, and what's going on makes no sense. Makes no sense because of who I know you to be. And yet he's always seeking. Draw near. Draw near near to the heart of God. He's seeking the embracing of God. And so when he ends this book, and the, your pastors will get you there, he ends with these words, to the chief musician on my stringed instruments. Yeah. Does this sound like a good song to you? Let's stand up and sing, God didn't say one thing to me when I prayed to him. <laughs> Great song. Okay, let's, not, let's stand up and sing, I prayed to God, and I... And, the answer wasn't even on my list. There's no way that could have been the answer. Let's sing, God gave me the wrong answer to my prayers. <laughs> Sounds like a great hymn to me. Okay. Or better yet, let's sing, Lord, I'm looking at the world around me and what's going on in the world, and you're sovereign, you're behind it, and it makes no sense. I don't understand. God, I'm stupid. I don't understand. What's going on? 
Three great hymns. <laughs> Three great hymns. And yet, that's where Habakkuk is going to end up because in his heart is, God, draw me near. God, draw me near. Near to the heart of God. It's a place of rest. Near to the heart of God is sweet release. Near to the heart of God is peace and joy. Even if the first three verses say those things. God doesn't listen. God's got the wrong answer. And God doesn't know what he's doing. If I seek to draw near to him, the answer is he puts a song in my heart. Even if things don't change, he puts a song in my heart. How how powerful is a song in my heart? When Jesus went from the upper room to Gethsemane, what did he do? He sang all the way there. He sang all the way there. A singing heart. A singing heart. God will give you that if your heart's desire is draw me near. Draw me near. Draw me near. Even when I have no idea what's going on. Even when it looks like evil is winning and God is a liar. If I will seek his heart, he'll give me a song. Can I give you one more proof from the Old Testament? You know that young guy who God came to in a vision and said, you are going to rise to a place of prominence? You know who that is? And the next place he found himself was in a pit being sold into slavery. Oops, God, you. You said I'm going to rise into prominence. This pit doesn't look like prominence. And then he found himself a slave. God, you said up, this is down. I'm a slave. And while a slave, he did the righteous thing and he got thrown where? In jail for being righteous. God, this isn't up. This is down. I don't understand. And what did Joseph do in all those things? What does it say about Joseph? Why didn't he sin? Why didn't he complain? Because he knew that he lived in the presence of God. He knew that every day he was in God's presence. And if every day he was in God's presence, despite despite that the circumstances screamed out to Joseph, God is lying. You are not going up. You are going down. Joseph said, I will be faithful to the God who is faithful. And what happened? What did God do with that evil? Turned it into good. Turned it into good. To save Joseph's family, to save millions of people. Millions of people who had no use for God were saved because Joseph, when it looked like God was not keeping his promises, said, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful. Where are you today? Have you been praying to God about something or about someone that you love? 
who has turned from God? Is your prayer every day, how long, how long, how long? And the answer is, you know what to do, right? Tomorrow, how long, God? How long? How long? I believe you are good, and I'm not going to stop praying. If it's with my last breath, is my, if my last breath is how long, God, until you do that, or how long until you take that person I love and bring them back to you, I'm going to keep asking. How long? Because I believe you are good. And so I will keep praying to the God who is good. Has God answered your prayer and is the last answer you wanted? The last answer that you wanted. This is not the answer that I wanted, God. I'm being righteous and my heart is broken. And my heart is crushed. Do you know why that is? Because God needs a Daniel. And God needs a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God needs a Caleb who will walk in the sand of the desert for 40 years because he's going to be faithful to God even if God answers his prayer by making his life more difficult. Are you living now and you have no idea what God is doing in your life? It makes no sense. You don't understand. He's doing things that contradict all you know about what God to be. Keep being faithful. Keep loving God. And there's only one way to love God. Only one way to love God. If you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. Be obedient. If you love me, be obedient. I don't know where you are today. I'm with Rebecca. To be honest, I'm not in one of those three places. I'm in all three. How long? Wrong answer. What are you doing? But I hope that every day my prayer is near to the heart of God. I want to embrace you, God. Draw me nearer. Let me know that I'm living in your embracing love. Because then you'll put a song in my heart. And I'll be faithful no matter the outcome. If I'm Abel and I get killed, or I'm Enoch and I go to heaven without dying, I will be faithful. Without faith, it is impossible to what? Please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's why he puts us in circumstances where the only thing that will work is faith. Some old preacher said, and I don't know who it was, said, we as Christians do not live for explanations. We live for the promises. That's what we live for, the promises of God. Are you living for the promises? If you do, you walk out of here today with a song in your heart, no matter what you're walking out to. Yeah, or like me, you walk out of here with a joyful noise in your heart. It'll be the same. God will work in it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for men like Abeka who prayed honest prayers. Like men who, like Abeka who even questioned and doubted what you were doing, but they did so with the desire to know you more completely, to know you more fully, to be taken into your embrace and to know your love. May we 
be faithful no matter what. As the Chorus says, though none go with me, still I must follow. No turning back. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.